are listening to the Wayne County Community College District's Critical Conversations podcast with host Ed Clementi. Welcome to Critical Conversations. I'm your host, Ed Clementi, and today we're very fortunate to have an old friend of mine, Nasser Beydoun, who is currently Vice President for Multicultural Marketing for Detroit Bassett and Bassett Communication Managers and Counselors. And with that, welcome, first of all, Nasser. Nice to see you again. Thank you, Ed. Great to be here. I think it's been like probably a decade almost since I've seen you, right? Uh, Maybe less. Probably less. Maybe about seven, eight years. Yes. And we've known each other a long time. And rather than have you have to brag about yourself, I'm going to read some of your little bit of your background. But, you know, he is very involved person. He's written a book and we'll get to the book a little bit later. But he was also uh, Michiganian of the Year by the Detroit News. You also were a citizen diplomat with the U.S. Department of State. I don't, before I go on with that, what does that mean? Well, the, um, the U.S. Department of State wanted to get a better understanding of why um, there was so much radicalization of the Muslim community in Europe. That was the reason behind it. I went on a mission for the U.S. Uh, State Department. Oh, that's pretty exciting. Um, and then also, you were the liaison, the Arab-American liaison to the League of Arab States, and you're still that at, currently, or no? No, I'm not. Uh, uh, that was uh, the former Secretary General of the Arab League, Amr Musa, when he was first appointed to the Arab League, uh, appointed me as his basically uh, a counselor or a liaison so he can get a better understanding of the Arab-American community. He was here in Dearborn, wasn't he, once? Or? A couple of times. Yeah, I met him, I think, at one of your events you did in Dearborn once. And, yes. Uh, yeah. Also, you're like me. We were both 40 under 40 at one time. I don't think either one of us are under 40 we anymore. We don't qualify anymore. No, we, we've been kicked out. But uh, and for Crane's Detroit business, you're also a Crane's newsmaker, which is a big deal, back in 2003. And a uh, couple other things here, but the, we're going to mention the Arab American Civil Rights League, which you're still doing. Currently, I'm the current chair, yes. Current chair. And then one other thing I found kind of interesting, you're involved in the Clark Street Boxing Gym. Did you box? No, I didn't box. Uh, what happened was I started a uh, gym a couple of years ago in uh, southwest Detroit for underprivileged kids. And that ran for a couple of years till the landlord, the property became too valuable and the landlord kicked us out. Where was it? What streets? It was on Clark Street. Right on Clark, or right by the Right, right by across the from the park. Park, okay. By Armando's. Uh, what else is on your resume people would be surprised to know about? Other than the two Guinness World Records? Yeah, you know what? I saw that on your resume. I didn't know what that meant. What are your two Guinness Book of World Records? When I was in Qatar, uh, we uh, basically broke the world record for the longest sandwich in the world and the largest bowl of pasta. <laughs> pasta? Is that popular? Oh, pasta is popular everywhere. Everywhere. And then uh, the Small Business Stabilization Planning Group, I don't know what that one is either. That was that was part of a uh, Comerica initiative to basically help to determine the needs of small businesses in the metro Detroit area. Oh, okay. There's a couple boards here. You're on, I'll just read through these quickly, but the Harper Hutzel Board, Boy Scouts of America, Task Force on Lebanon, the Arab American Institute, the Detroit Zoo, uh, you were a former trustee at Henry Ford Community College, and you're also a member of the U of M Michigan Dearborn Dean's Advisory Board for the School of Management and Co-America's Small Business Customer Advisory Council. 
I noticed you went to University of San Diego. How did that happen? Well, that's an interesting story. I I was going to Wayne State University, and it was February. And, you know, if you ever walk from the student center to Manugan in February, <laughs> you know. <laughs> pretty cold. It's pretty cold. Then a, a friend of mine moved to San Diego, and uh, I went to visit him in February. And I left Michigan. It was like 20 below. And I got to San Diego, and it was 70 degrees. And I said, wait, something's wrong here. And then uh, I applied to the University of uh, San Diego, which is a private Jesuit school, and I got a full-ride scholarship. So I said, why not? Did you get academic scholarship? Yes. Oh, that's great. Um, And one other side note, too. I know you have three children. They might listen to this podcast. What are their names? Uh, Aya, Jenna, and Jamal. Okay. I know I've met them at one point. I remember when you first, when they were real little, actually, babies. Yeah. But that's great. Uh, how old are they now? Well, I am 16, um, going on 30, and <laughs> Jenna is uh, 15, and Jamal is 9. All right. And I also, you know, I'm a small business owner. I own a couple of businesses in the city of Detroit, and, you know, we just try and keep busy. Yeah, I, I think that's an understatement. I think you're very busy. Uh, you were pretty busy, too, when I first met you back when you were the president of the Arab American Chamber of Commerce. And you had that title for a few years, I believe. Yeah, I was uh, the executive director for about six years, and I was the chairman for two years. All right. You've had several other positions up to that point, but I know you do a lot with economic development as well, correct? Well, we've been, uh, you know, I, economic development has always been one of my pet projects. I mean, I feel that in more focused on economic development in uh, communities of color and uh, immigrant communities because, you know, in the end, we we have to make sure that the people of the state of Michigan have the opportunity to grow and to prosper and for Michigan to be a very vibrant business community. In in fact, um, I think I mentioned to you earlier before the podcast that I'm on Global Detroit's board with Steve Tabachman, and I've actually helped when I was a legislator to get uh, someone on the Asian Pacific Commission with the state of Michigan. And how much has the immigrant community been helpful in that economic turnaround for Michigan? Well, I mean, if you look at the different immigrant communities that are in Detroit, in the metro Detroit area, you, you know, first of all, let's start with the Arab American community. You know, I grew up in Dearborn, Michigan. My parents immigrated here in 1970. And when we first moved to Dearborn, if you went down to Warren Avenue, it was all abandoned storefronts. There was no development going on. Uh, It was a dying town. And then when we had the large influx of Lebanese uh, and, and Arabs coming into the city, today that same district is a very vibrant business district. And it's actually attracts people from all the states around Michigan to come do their shopping, to eat at restaurants. And there's zero vacancy on that whole stretch of the street and new buildings going up. Uh, You look at uh, southwest Detroit. You look at the Hispanic community. Uh, You know, there, there was another community that was kind of emptying out and dying. And then you had the influx of immigrants from Mexico. So... And anywhere you go, wherever you have a large influx of immigrants, you add new blood to the system because immigrants are a great basis for economic growth and opportunity. 
as you might remember, my folks were born in Italy, so first generation as well. And you were born though in Lebanon. No, I was born in Beirut. Yeah. Oh, Beirut, Le- yeah, Lebanon, Beirut, Lebanon. And uh, we know that my family really, like, probably like your family, I had to start working when I was ten. I don't know what business your family was in, but that pretty much when you have that kind of work ethic, I think at an early age, that it kind of helps you in your career too. I would think it and for you as well. I do. I mean, I started delivering papers, actually pumping gas when I was probably like 10 years old and then delivering newspapers then working at Basket Robbins. Uh, you know, my father worked at Ford Motor Company for 30 years. Uh, he was he worked at the assembly, the Wayne Assembly Plant. So, you know, that and I look at kids today and, you know, they don't have that same drive. I mean, we don't we don't test them like we were tested or it just people tell you it's a different world, but you know, hard work is hard work, and it's, I think it's good to build character. Yeah, I remember my mom said, we're not going to get you a babysitter. We're going to give you a job. And I had to start working in the restaurant at about 10 myself. And it was just little things, but, you know, it's just it really helps me to my day to work in careers I have now because I believe that that immigrant culture, they want to make it because they're leaving somewhere usually that they didn't have the great advantages I think we have here sometimes. And we forget about those all the time. Um you know, also we've been talking kind of on the community level, but let's talk a little bit on the uh, broader picture. I mean, the Michigan Chamber has about 1,300 foreign businesses have locations in here and across the board everywhere. But at that level, I'm sure you've had some development. I know you were working very closely with the Middle East, too, to bring some companies here and vice versa some there. Uh, how, how do you feel at that macro level companies are doing now? Well, as you, I don't know if you remember, but around 2002, I founded the um, U.S. Arab Economic Forum, and we had brought in uh, leaders from the Middle East and corporate leaders from the United States to try and use economics as a way to build bridges of understanding between the Arab world and uh, the United States. At our banquet for the gala dinner for that event, uh, we had 10% of America's GDP represented by chairman or CEO. So I've always felt that economics is a great way to build understanding because people that, you know, trade together rarely go to war with each other. And if you're able to help countries develop and create economic prosperity and at the same time provide a service or a product for here in the United States and jobs here in the United States, you know, trade's a good thing. It could be a good thing. So I do believe that we need to position Michigan as a gateway for a lot of countries that want to come and do business in the United States. Unfortunately, we're not on the East Coast or the West Coast where we can either get China or Europe to come. But we have opportunities in Africa and the Middle East and other areas where we have a strong local base that can attract that investment here. And I know that uh, there's partnerships, and obviously with NAFTA being discussed right now, all these things are critical to those conversations. But regionally, how does probably the Detroit area or Michigan compare to other regions for international investment or international trade? We're very low, probably on the totem pole. Most of it is probably auto-related. Um, I think most of the foreign direct investment goes to places like New York or uh, L.A., or Chicago, Houston, uh, Detroit sees very little of that. But I think Detroit is getting hotter. I mean, as we build up a rebirth and a reputation worldwide as Detroit is the end spot to be, 
I think we would uh, definitely see more investments coming. I think what's happening in Detroit today is great. And also, I think that one of the underutilized assets that Michigan has is its universities. We have some of the greatest universities in the world. And the more foreign students that we can attract, these students will have an affinity to the region. And hopefully, as they grow in their careers and become successful and lead major corporations, they'll come back to Michigan to uh, invest and support our local economy. Well, I can tell you, when I went to Michigan State, uh, there were hardly any Chinese students. And I go up there now, my cousins just graduated from there. I think close to like 15 to 20 percent of the population. And I don't know what it is at U of M, but it's probably larger than that, I would guess. And Indian population, I know, are two growing for both of those. Uh, are, are you familiar with the University Research Council? Or It's, it's a uh, group that um, is U of M, MSU, and Wayne State that work mainly on research and research grants. It's kind of the competitive group for Silicon Valley or the, I forgot what's called for Boston, one, two, three, or whatever that is, and then the Research Triangle down in North Carolina. But uh, they're, they're trying to do a lot with international investment, something you might be interested in, hopefully down the road. I think, uh, you know, that's basically where we have to look because that'll be the catalyst. I mean, U of M, Michigan State, Wayne State, all the great universities that we have and the research capabilities that Michigan provides. And also don't forget that Michigan, you know, southeastern uh, uh, Michigan is second in the number of engineers to Silicon Valley. So I think that with um, the push for autonomous vehicles and all the technology that's going there, Michigan needs to uh, shine in those areas. Have you uh, done much with autonomous vehicles yet, or is that something that uh, that's not on your horizon at the moment? But not, it's... not on my above my pay grade. <laughs> okay. Um, also, I know you were kind of involved with the creation of the uh, Arab American Museum, which I've been to quite a few times. Uh, could, could you explain a little bit to our audience, like what is what's there and what they do and their purpose a little bit? Well, um, in the early 2000, uh, Ishmael Ahmed, who was at that time the executive director of Access, the largest Arab American uh, uh, organization in the country, uh, came and said, we want to build a museum. There's over 20,000 20, museums in the United States, and there's not one museum that tells the story, the, the story of Arab American immigrants and what Arab Americans have contributed to the United States. So we went ahead and um, you know proceeded to raise the $15 million needed to build the museum. And on 5-5 of 05, <laughs> the first Arab American museum opened in the United States. And since then, you know, within a very short period of time, it was named an affiliate of the Smithsonian Institution, which is a very prestigious uh, recognition that very few museums in the country have. You know, I've, I've been there a few times, but mainly for music, because there's a lot of concerts they do there now. But also Madeleine Albright came there once, and I don't know if you were still in Michigan. Oh, yeah, I was at that event. It was really nice. By the way, I also volunteered for your Arab American um, the U.S. Economic Conference. Yeah, I was wondering. I still got my shirt, by the way. <laughs> so I can prove it. Um, so, what is the real direction for the U.S. You think in developing, you know, global trade policies? Well, uh, you know, renewable energy is the future. Autonomous vehicles is the future. Trade is the future. So, especially because I worked a lot with NAFTA when I was in the legislature too, because we were looking at the new bridge crossing and all those kind of things. A lot of 
international border crossing issues came up all the time. What is really the real hope you see for innovation in Michigan or design or, you know, whatever you think you see in your job? Well, there, we see a lot of, um, you know, innovation in engineering in the medical field. A lot of immigrants playing a leading role in the computer science industry, in the medical industry. Um, we see uh, Michigan truly becoming a leader in the autonomous vehicle uh, and technology. And don't forget, I think the greatest economic opportunity in the future is going to be renewable energy. And we can see what the Chinese are doing. Um, and if we don't catch up, we're not going to be the superpower, the only superpower in the world anymore. And the other area that we need to focus on is transportation and transportation technology. Michigan needs to basically start looking at what is the transportation needs of the future generations. Currently, if you look at it, you know, every family has two, three, four cars. In the future, a family might have one car and call an autonomous vehicle whenever they need a second car, or they might not even have cars at all. And if you look at what's happening with uh, downtown Detroit and the rebirth of Detroit and the queue line that just launched, you know, we need to make sure a southeastern Michigan has the best mass transit system for the future. Uh, you know, they're talking about building new highways, but we might be spending money on an obsolete technology. So we need to bring the best minds in the world together and say, what's this region going to look like in 20 or 50 years, and how do we invest to make that happen? And how do we build high-speed trains, uh, queue lines that not only goes up Woodward, but goes all the way up Woodward, goes up Michigan, goes up Gratiot? Um, how do we create an environment for autonomous vehicles, for biking, for hiking? So all this has to, we have to basically redesign our whole region around the future. In fact, I know during the debates of the uh, millage that was just defeated for the mass transit, the U.S. Senate, I believe, said they think self-driving vehicles could be the future of mass transit, where individual vehicles could pick seniors up to take them to the doctors and might not be buses or the way we know mass transit today in our heads because we're not we're thinking of what we grew up with but you're right in the future it could be way more individual than all people getting onto one bus or something well it's not it could be you know smaller buses and um, autonomous buses you know where instead of having a bus that comes every 30 minutes or 45 minutes you have a bus that comes every 15 minutes but it only instead of holding 50 passengers might hold 10 passengers so that there's a constant flow so people get on so we don't have to spend a lot of money on subways and you know we there's a lot of opportunity there if a region and governments and the people and the business leaders come together and uh, design it and i know we've we've been working on this economic development but is since your experience of traveling around the world also all the different boards you've been on what do you think is one of the best ways we can keep talent in this state well i think we're going to have a hard time as the world becomes more connected. Um, if you go travel around the world and you see places like Singapore and Dubai or Beijing and you see the vibrancy and the energy and the excitement um, and then, you know, you come back to the U.S. and see how we are getting lost in, you know, in our own self-righteousness per se, uh, I think America needs to reinvent and reinvigorate itself. 
I think America is great, but I think America can be better. Um, and we can only be better if we start putting the citizens and the people of this country first ahead of special interest and other uh, and trying to move the country forward that way. You know, from my own travel experiences, I always think of I'm paraphrasing, but uh, Mark Twain had a quote once that every person in America is prejudiced till they've traveled. And, you know, it, it's still true today. And he said that probably in the late 1800s. And, you know, I've just recently I've been to like Barcelona. I've been to Sa- well, Saigon, Ho Chi Minh, you know, and uh, city. And, and those cities are just amazingly busy. People are happy. They're having fun. The streets are packed. And not just because of overcrowding, just people are doing things. And you're absolutely right, especially people of cities we'd never really thought we're growing as fast as they are. And it's just the main of businesses, manufacturing. I drive through almost a half an hour in some cities where it's all industrial. And we don't see that anymore in the U.S. No. And that's in third world countries a lot of times that are really starting to grow. It's, it's amazing, or developing countries. Uh, let's get a little bit about your experience in your book, if you can, if you don't mind. Why don't you just mention the title of your book? I think that's pretty interesting. It's called The Glass Palace. And it was about the time you couldn't leave a certain country right? right it was the time i was held as an economic hostage in qatar it's pretty fascinating you should pick the book is it still available on amazon i presume still available on amazon that's yes. where i found it i read a little bit and you, you call it an economic hostage what is what did that mean can you just give sort of the elevator speech on it first well sure um in 2006 i was given an opportunity to go run an investment company in the state of qatar uh which is in the arab gulf um and uh Within, you know, basically we had uh, a lot of very influential cutteries as our investors. And within three years, I had opened 52 restaurants throughout the Middle East, including two rainforest cafes, one in Cairo, one in uh, uh, Dubai. And when the economic crisis hit in around 2008, uh, basically, you know, we lost the money and uh, we had some issues with the company. And I had a disagreement with the um, board, and I resigned. And so when I resigned, um, you know, with my, they refused to honor my contract. So I ended up suing the then current foreign minister of the state of Qatar. <laughs> in Qatar. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Ads don't look good. <laughs> uh, actually, I won the lawsuit, and oh, I collected did. my money, but... Uh, the way the sponsorship system in the Arab Gulf works, it's when you go to work in that country, basically your sponsor, if you want to leave the country, he has to give you an exit visa to leave. So during the lawsuit, they refused to give me an exit visa. And um, so I was basically had to fight the lawsuit and win the lawsuit to be able to leave the country. So, so just for our audience's sake... Uh the difference between, say, like an H-1B in the U.S., you have to have a sponsor, and you can only stay in the country as long as you have that sponsor. But you're saying there's also another side to that coin over there that you can't even leave unless your sponsor sort of – Allows you to leave. Wow. And basically, he can hold you, and they do it all the time for uh, many different people, people from Asia. Um, and it's basically a way of – uh, you know, you could be a very high. Ins- there was bank presidents and very high executives, and um, it just uh, you know you're held hostage. You're 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 the property of that sponsor. Well, give us the name of the book again, just in case someone wants to get it on Amazon. It, I think it's interesting. It's called The Glass Palace: Illusions of Freedom and Democracy in the Middle East. 
And uh, I want to thank you again today for coming in. Nasser Badoon again, and I'll give you your title one more time. He's the Vice President of Multicultural Marketing for Detroit-based Bassett and Bassett Communication Managers and Counselors, also my friend. And he also is going to break a third world record and be in Guinness Book pretty soon. Tell us what it is when it's time, okay? But you don't have to tell us now. But otherwise, thanks again for coming in today. You've been listening to Critical Conversations. And with that, uh, I'm going to turn it over. Thanks. See you the next time. Thanks again for being a guest. Thank you, Ed. Thank you for listening to the Wayne County Community College District's Critical Conversations podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Wayne County Community College District's Critical Conversations podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and are not reflective of this institution. The Wayne County Community College District shall not be held responsible for the misuse or reuse of this podcast series and shall not be liable for any damage resulting from the irregularity, inaccuracy, or use of information presented.